Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Good Old Podcast. I'm Jack Franchilli for Wahoo's 24-7. And due to circumstances around my, my poor daughter having an ear infection, we're actually going to combine two episodes of the Good Old Podcast in one, just like we did for the Syracuse week. So I'm going to do the Tony Elliott takeaways as well as the game preview since I'm posting this a little bit later than I would like on a Wednesday. So sorry about that. Um, but we do have a lot to talk about. Tony Elliott. He's a very transparent coach on that podium. And honestly, it's it's refreshing in this day and age of college football to have a coach that is very transparent with what's going on. You know, he talked about accountability, talked about collective co- accountability. And I want to stress that word, collective accountability. I think a lot of people focus on that he discusses certain things that maybe a player has done wrong and fails to realize that he is having the coaches accountable too. He has mentioned what he needs to get better as well. He has mentioned what they need to do to move forward. You know, he has said earlier, not even on this press conference from this week, he has spoken about it leading up to the Duke game that he and Des Kitchings didn't realize how much of a drastic adjustment this offense was going to be for Virginia. And what did they do? They adjusted the offense on the field. If you look at what the offense was schemed against Illinois, it is different than what we saw against Duke, which is why we saw Brennan Armstrong. I know this is a big debate among Virginia fans, but Brennan Armstrong looked the most relaxed under center against the Blue Devils. Armstrong had his best game in the scheme. Was it perfect? Was it great? Did he miss reads? Did he have batted passes? Two of them he would want to take back. A couple of them was because the O-line shed their blocks a little bit too quick. But again, it was a better game. And I I know there's no moral victories, but when you're adjusting to a scheme and you look back at what we saw against Illinois, you're seeing a team that is moving forward and not side of the ball. On Tuesday, Elliot was asked about a lot of things. One of them is about what he can do to help this team to figure out a way to win you know at this point but uh but still encouraged uh where we're you know i'm i'm building a program and that's one of the things that i'm trying to get uh, these guys to to understand there's a difference between having a good team and building a program and you know good teams you know they may be good for one year good programs you know they sustain you know success over the long haul and in order to build a program you know there's there's philosophies and uh, processes and the way that you uh, operate and core values that you have to 
truly, truly, you know, instill. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of bamboo tree. You know, you might not see uh, immediate results, but you got to keep watering, uh, believing and, and, and trusting uh, that at one point it's going to click and you're going to see the growth. When you're a coach, when you're, you're, you're helping the players adjust in fundamentals, technique, it's one way. But when you're trying to change the mentality of the team, how do you approach that? What's the challenge when it comes to that? Yeah, that's uh, the, the biggest challenge is for me to keep my composure, right? And I, and I, and I, and I pride myself on trying to be a, uh, a calm guy. Technique is, is technique. I know that technique is, is muscle memory, and it's consistently doing it a certain way over time. And then it becomes just part of your DNA. Uh, so, so I understand that. Uh, the cultural piece, you know, it's, it's finding the right way to communicate to these guys to get them to, to believe and to, and to buy in. And, uh, and you know, I was uh, a little bit embarrassed with, with, with my, you know, my reaction to a couple things uh, during the game just because I lost my composure a little bit. And, um, you know, and I, and I apologize to the, to the staff and to the, and to the players and, um, but I saw things that, from a cultural standpoint, that I, that I just did not like, that that's not going to be who we are. So it is about buying in. And I, the big thing that I think many people, and, and myself included, didn't really consider in this part, was the buy-in factor. And I mentioned this in the podcast during my game recap, but again, you're, you're seeing the ramifications or the consequences or what have you of having a coaching search when one was not expected. For instance, if you were to look at Scott Frost in Nebraska, a lot of people knew that that hot seat was boiling. If, if Frost did not have a successful year, that was going to be a situation where they're going to have a coaching search. Everyone knew that the players knew what the situation was. No one knew the situation of Bronco Mendenhall stepping down. Then you have a new coach that comes in and wants to set a foundation for his program. You can argue, and I, I will say this too, that maybe the transition needs to be a little less drastic on the offensive side of the ball compared to the defense, which needed more of hands-on changing with a couple of things, especially when you're doing with a scheme change there too, which from a scheme that did not fit the personnel and was not very good. So we can argue that, and the coaching staff has tried to adjust and they are trying to adjust and you see the adaptations there. But when you have a team that has seen success on the field, especially on the offense, and has been bowl eligible for a few years, you're not coming into a program that has had problems with culture generally. So that is something where Tony Elliott has had to sell a little bit more. So he it's he says, listen, we have all the pieces to be special. But right now, this team is individuals, not a team. They've they've had success doing it their way. And and I acknowledge that and I respect that. Uh, but I also have had success uh, coming from where I'm coming from and the way that that I was trained and what it took uh, from a cultural standpoint to be to be successful there. And so it's it's like teaching an old dog new tricks. Uh, they're going to resist, you know, at times uh, because they've had success doing it one way. Uh, but this is a this is a new regime. This is a new uh, direction going forward. And you know, I can take the approach that hey, you can have a good team, but then I'm starting over year after year, and I don't establish the foundation of the of the program. And and for me, uh, the foundation of the program is is one having an appreciation for your opportunity to play. So when you take the field, 
right, for pregame warm-ups, you take the field with enthusiasm, with excitement, with a sense of urgency and appreciation to play. You don't walk onto the field, right? And we had some guys that, you know, they made it about themselves and they thought it was okay to walk on the field for pregame warm-ups, right? From my culture and the, and the culture we're trying to establish, what that tells me is you don't have the right sense of urgency. And then you know what's going to happen? Then you're not going to have the details in the crunch time. And that's what we're seeing uh, on both sides of the ball is just, you know, it's a, it's a handful of plays where guys, you know, use the wrong technique or they use the wrong fundamentals. They got the wrong targeting. And again, they're maybe not used to that, but I know fully that, you know, how you uh, run onto the field sends a message. And I didn't like the message that, that the team sent uh, when they came onto the field uh, for pregame warmups. All of it correlates. Right. So you got to transition. And then where where we're struggling a little bit is just, man, trusting it in the game. Right. And it takes time because, man, it's different in the game. Things move faster. They happen faster. You got to you got to keep your focus. And, and we didn't have the right focus to come out. And that's nobody's fault but my own. All right. So it's my job to my job to fix it. And, and uh, you know, we had a tough meeting yesterday, you know, some collective accountability, uh, not just on that, but on some other things that happened in the game. Um, and the guys owned it. We went out, had a good practice yesterday. and. So it's hard to really get what Tony Elliott's message is in just these short clips. It's it's hard to tell what his message is also in a couple of sentences on Twitter. I wish I can type that quick for a 30-minute interview and say word for word what he's saying, but I can't. So on Wahoo's 24-7, I also included the full transcript of what Tony Elliott said during his press conference. So nothing is left to interpretation. So you can see what he had to say about... All the questions that we asked included about Brennan Armstrong's performance, the offense, the how do you change the team's mentality, about Louisville, everything on our site on Wahoo's 24-7. So let's move forward because we need to move forward to Louisville. So let's move on to Louisville and we'll start by looking at the depth chart. And again, if you're on YouTube, that will be on your screen. But also if you're on Wahoo's 24-7 and you're listening to this on your podcast, you can see all the depth chart on Wahoo's 24-7. We have offense, defense, special teams all separated and with what the biggest takeaways from each. So, and I'm going to break it down with you here as well. So on offense, there's no really big changes where you go, wow, okay, this is new. Um, as far as injuries, because that's one of the one of the changes you see on the O-line. The starting O-line is the same. You still have from left to right, Logan Taylor, John Paul Flores, Justice Johnson. Derek Vine and Jonathan Leach. As you can tell from the game plan in Duke, there's a lot of rotations. You saw Justice Johnson and Ty Furnish both play with almost equal snaps. And you also saw Noah Josie come in as well for John Paul Flores. So they are rotating in a couple of the offensive linemen in that area. Houston Curry, a true freshman who made his debut on a depth chart last week, is still there. And the only new name on that depth chart, uh, left tackle, is uh, Kobe McGee. So Mikhail Boley, he was wearing a boot and did not play against Duke. He did travel, but he was not dressed. So he's still day-to-day. So that is the reason why Kobe McGee is on that depth chart. So everything else is practically the same. The only thing that you will see is Billy Kim is still on that depth chart. He is likely out for the game. Remember, he came back from an illness. He did play against Duke, but then he hurt himself. He hurt his ankle. Probably within the first five or six plays, he was out and then taken to the sideline and did not feature and has not practiced this week yet for Virginia. So he is likely out for the game against the Cardinals. 
The only other big thing from this is you see another true freshman making his debut on there, Sean Wilson. Sean Wilson got a few snaps out there against the Cardinals, and he is making his debut at wide receiver on this depth chart. Moving on to the defense. Again, no real unexpected change here at linebacker. Nick Jackson was behind Deshaun Perry. Deshaun Perry is now behind Nick Jackson. He was behind um, Deshaun Perry. Jackson was last week because he had to sit out for that first half. So not mind-blowing, nothing unexpected there. Everything else is practically the same except one position, defensive tackle. Ben Smiley, for the first time this season, is number one behind is Aaron Famui or Michael Diada. Now, this could stem, and this was not explicitly said, but one thing that Tony Elliott has been saying is that he wants to he he wants to make sure there are repercussions for any uh, personal foul penalties. Um, so this could very well be that. But yes, so Ben Smiley is above Aaron Famui, and then it's Michael Diada also at defensive tackle. Everything else is still the same on defense, on special teams. There's no more or between Will Bettridge and Brennan Farrell. Will Bettridge is the number one place kicker. Everything else is still the same. Demik Starling or Mike Hollins. Again, Billy Kemp is still there. Demik Starling had that fumble in the game against Duke. Mike Hollins took over a couple of the kickoff returns after that. Elliott said nothing has changed. Starling just needs to show his consistency at practice and that work ethic there. So he has not changed anything when it comes to the special teams depth chart. Now, the other thing that was a big takeaway as far as personnel is because of when you approach the fifth game, um, oh, actually, one uh, one more thing, actually, before I keep going. Uh, Ventral Cypress, he was still on the depth chart against Duke. He had an illness that didn't play against Duke, but he is expected to play against Louisville. Although Jalen Baker uh, did a good job and he provided uh, some nice um, some nice reps. And I know we talked about it during our closer look, that big tackle that he had on the first defense, uh, first defensive drive for Duke. Ventrell Sarp is likely to play. He's expected to be back. Jonathan Horton, also a major contributor on special teams, is also expected to be back. So that's your medical report. Um, the other report is redshirt report because that's where we are now focused on. And if you look in, there's a couple of true freshmen on this lineup. You know, we have Sean Wilson, we have Houston Curry, we have Mikhail Boley, we have Will Betridge. So there's a couple of freshmen on here. Now, according to Tony Elliott, one thing, you know, Xavier Brown is not on the depth chart, but he's already played in five games. So red shirt gone. You have, you're allowed to play four games before burning a red shirt. So Xavier Brown no longer has a red shirt opportunity. He's expected to still to play. When it comes to other guys, Will Betridge, he's obviously the place kicker. He's expected to use up that red shirt. Another guy, Mikhail Boley, he's expected to use that red shirt. Stevie Bracey, he's been an integral part on a couple of special teams units. He will also be expected to use that red shirt. Guys, that all the other true freshmen, even Sean Wilson, that is on that depth chart, is expected to still have their red shirt. Obviously, Dakota Tweedy is out for the season with his knee injury. So the only one that they are monitoring is Houston Curry. And the correct wordage that Tony Elliott said is that they're managing the four games. So those are the big takeaways from Tony Elliott's press conference on Tuesday. 
Now we move forward to Louisville, which is going to be a big ACC matchup. It's right before the bye week. And for sure, this Cavaliers team wants to get their first ACC win. And they've been doing pretty good at home, securing two wins already with Richmond and ODU. And they want to keep that perfect record at Scott Stadium. So preparing for Cardinals, we are going to have Cardinal authorities Michael McCammon here on the show, we're going to talk about the likelihood that Malik Cunningham will play against the Wahoos. And we will also talk who are the key matchups that we will be watching. And of course, we'll give our predictions. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And welcome back to the good old podcast. I'm Jackie Franchuli for Wahoo's 24-7. And just like I teased before the break, we have a special guest, Cardinal Authorities, Michael McCammon. Michael, thank you so much for joining us this week to break down Louisville. Love to. I uh, wish both of our teams were performing at a higher level, uh, but always excited to talk about the ball game. Yeah, it's, you know, when you're coming into this season, there was a lot of hype around Louisville. Not a lot of people mm-hmm. knew what to expect from the Cardinals. Same with Virginia, although they were – Going to miss a lot of experience on the O-line. Having Brendan Armstrong back is obviously something that people had high expectations for the offense. Both teams coming in, not performing to those expectations. What has been the main issue for Louisville, Michael? Yeah, as you mentioned, there were some high expectations for them coming in. I mean, they had a lot of veterans uh, returning, obviously with Malik Cunningham being the focal point behind that, the dual threat quarterback that's continuing to set records. Uh, and then they did a lot of great work, it appeared, at least on paper, through the transfer portal, especially on the defensive side where they needed to really shore up the depth and, and make it be a little bit more bulk on the defensive uh, front. But now through injuries and, and just continued struggles, we really haven't seen any of that come to fruition to, as far as better play goes on. goes. Instead, what we've seen is kind of what has plagued Louisville in the last few years is really their only consistency is to be inconsistent. They'll play pretty decently one week. The offense will move the ball, or or it might be the defense really surprises you just to turn around and have a week like they did last week against Boston College where they go in as 15-and-a-half-point favorites. The offense came out initially, looked fantastic, mixed it up with pass and run and, and scored on their opening drive. But after that, you know, it was – you know, a hodgepodge, you never know what you're going to get if they're going to gain seven yards or if they're going to have a successful drive. And, and the defense just gave up one big play after another. Uh, and it, it's it's been those things that's really been 
what's been the defining thing for this Louisville football team this year. They did not anticipate being two and three through five games. They've already lost a couple of games, be it Syracuse. Now Syracuse looks like they're a lot better than most anticipated at the beginning of the season. And then Boston College, you know, is basically ranked near the bottom in all ACC statistical categories. So that one was almost or really was inexcusable. And again, it's something that you had hoped with such a returning with so many veterans returning, and even to the transfer reporter, you're adding guys that are three, four, five-year guys, would have the ability to play consistent, whether it's always making proper tackles or not giving up something over the top. And and unfortunately, despite the added years of experience, those struggles have continued. So here they are uh, playing inconsistent on both sides of the ball. And sometimes when they do have success, they like to do – uh, they like to commit turnovers. They've committed some extremely costly penalties, especially pre-snap, something that I think Virginia's dealt with as well. Um, so they, they kind of can't get out of their own way uh, for much of the game. And I think that's really been the headache for this year, which was also the same last year and the year before. Honestly, I, I feel like I just listened to the problems that Virginia football has been <laughs> facing this year, almost identical. It's looking in the mirror right now. The only thing is Virginia has been consistent game to game. It's been the consistencies within the game when it comes yeah. to Virginia. Um, but sticking with Louisville, you mentioned Malik Cunningham. Obviously, he's day-to-day right now. So as we're recording this podcast on Wednesday afternoon, what's the latest in his status and what's plan B if he can't go? Obviously, you want Malik Cunningham in there. But as Scott Satterfield said yesterday, whenever you have a head injury and, and he took a, a helmet-to-helmet blow against Boston College, you know, you want to be careful with that. And he said, hey, that's going to be the doctor's call. And we may not get official word whether he's going to start or not until just before game day. I mean, that's that's kind of how coaches run things. And and so we'll see what happens there. Um, hopefully, you would like to see him to go because as he goes, Louisville often goes. Louisville hasn't had – to really rely much on the reserve quarterbacks in recent years, uh, a little bit here and there, but nothing too dramatic like this. If Malik can't go, Brock Doman, a former junior college star, now his second year uh, with Louisville, would be the guy. He came in uh, to finish the game last week against the Eagles, finished, I think it was one of eight from the field, uh, didn't look fantastic, and that's going to be the problem. You know, We talked to both Scott Satterfield and offensive coordinator Lance Taylor Okay, what are you going to do? And they're basically, you know, reviewing obviously video on on Virginia and then creating game plans for the strengths of both Malik Cunningham as well as Brock Doman. Uh, Malik is obviously a little bit more of a runner. Well, a lot more of a runner. He's a lot more of a runner than most people. But Brock will does have the ability to move. He's a big dude. So uh, one of the coaches said you know, he may run somebody over if he has to. So I think there will be some slight adjustments in how the game plan might look. I think you'll probably see a lot more throwing if Brock is back there, but if Malik's back there, um, it's probably going to continue to be that mix. Um, But there is concern. Obviously it's a head injury. How much do you sacrifice, not sacrifice, but how much do you put him at risk uh, letting him run as much as he does, or or do you just let him run free? So we'll be interesting, whatever the case may be on how the game plan looks, whether it's Malik Cunningham or Brock Doman behind center. And Virginia is coming off a game where their opponent had a lot of success on the ground. Uh, Virginia, mm-hmm. up until this point, has been able to stop the run. So I'm interested to see what the game plan will do if Malik Cunningham doesn't factor in for Louisville. And speaking of the run game, and a lot of focus has been on Malik's injury, and rightfully so, but Louisville's had some injuries on in that running back room too, so that could affect that game plan as well. 
Yeah, coming in, I mean, that was clearly the deepest part of the depth chart was, with Louisville was its running back room. You had last year's leading runner, uh, Jalen Mitchell back, number two, and Travion Cooley. Obviously, Malik Cunningham does what he does and, and has led everybody. But And then they you know, they added um, Tyon Evans, a, a former four-star junior college guy. Really, everybody kept calling him an SEC guy, um, and he is. I mean, he's, he's the real deal, but he's been banged up a couple times. He left against Boston College, didn't return. He's continued day-to-day. Travion Cooley, a great sophomore running back. He's day-to-day. Jalen Mitchell, the leading rusher from last year, missed the last game with an injury. But we're told he's getting really, really close, I think, was the quote about being able to return to play. But, you know, with the guy coming off like that, how much rust do you have? You know, so a lot of or a lot of weight is really on the shoulders of Jawar Jordan, a former Syracuse running back, just a, a speed type of guy has done really well uh, when he's had his opportunities this year. Uh, but if, if those guys are banged up and most of it lands on Jawar Jordan's shoulders, you know, then obviously you're looking at things a little bit differently, especially if Malik Cunningham's not there to help out with the run game as well. So a lot of questions for Louisville as they do come into Charlottesville. And you already touched on a little bit about the defense against Boston College, was which is last in the ACC in total offense, was able to rack up 449 yards against this Louisville defense because of those big plays. What have you seen as a consistent issue for this defense coming in after five games? Uh, with those big plays, I mean, and this year they've been doing fantastic at getting into the opponent's backfield. I mean, they're one of the nation's leaders in sacks and, and tackles for the loss, and they're they're doing great attacking and being aggressive in that nature. But at the same time, you're kind of exposing yourself in the backfield. And and some of that and maybe a lot of that is because of the schemes being called, which which alignment defensive coordinator Brian Brown wanted to put in. And he even took some of the onus in this last press conference. There was a big play that went over the top, I think the one for 69 yards to Zay Flowers, who's one of the, the league's best wide receivers. Uh, but it left a safety out there all by himself without any help. And he, he just got burnt and really looked – it was a kind of an embarrassing play. But the defensive coordinator in yesterday's uh, press conference, Brian Brown, said, hey, that's on me. I, th- I was expecting a run. I had something called, and, and, and they took advantage of it. And so it, it, it's something along those lines is – well, it's primarily one of the reasons why we're now seeing Scott Satterfield announce yesterday that, hey, I'm going to jump more into the defensive uh, planning as well as potentially even the play calling on Saturday – and let the offensive duties handle, you know, fall more on the shoulders of Lance Taylor. So it's interesting to see how what the struggles have been before this change with Siderfield now stepping into the the defensive room with Brian Brown, uh, and how much of an impact or difference we'll see on Saturday when it comes to the defense. But certainly they've had their their issues as well. I was gonna actually highlight. I feel like that's one of the key battles because Virginia's young offensive line is gonna have to handle the pressure of Louisville's uh, defensive front, who's been doing a good job with the pressure. And when you consider that, let's get some predictions from you. What do you expect (laughs) in this game? Because of one of those keys game, when I look at it, I'm like, if Virginia can't get Brennan Armstrong any time like they did against Louisville, where it was Brennan had no time to even think, that's going to be a problem for the Cavaliers. Yeah, I think Louisville will stick with that game plan, continue to try to get to – they're going to try to get after the quarterback, in this case, Brandon Armstrong, a, a fantastic quarterback. Uh, the fear is, um, could Brennan have experienced the same type of day that Phil Jerkovich had from Boston College against Louisville last week? I mean, he just lit it up easily, had his best game of the season. So that's a concern, um, and that's where maybe Satterfield can hopefully make a difference. As he said, if I can make a difference in two or three plays, which are those big plays, then maybe we'll win a game. So – 
again, looking forward to seeing what kind of impact that is. So, but I do expect them to continue to be up aggressive up front, um, as well as probably playing a little bit more press man coverage. Uh, I, I, that's kind of my anticipation with Satterfield moving over there. They they said they want to put guys more in positions to have success, and instead of putting them in a position where you have to cross your fingers that they don't fail, um, which unfortunately we saw a lot of uh, against Boston College. But so defensively, I expect to still see them come after. Brandon Armstrong, if they're able to give him time through Louisville's aggressive pressure, then I think that really is going to spell a lot of troubles for Louisville's defense because of their struggles off too often in more than one game with uh, with really fundamental tackling. And then as well as we've talked about the big plays, if they're if Armstrong has time to sit back in that pocket, then I think it's it's a bad day for Louisville defense once again. So do you feel like Louisville can come into Charlottesville and take a win home? Uh, you know, <laughs> it's tough, that's right? That, I, I, I was, yeah. I was kind of going back and forth this entire week. And even when I answered your question, I was sitting back. like, oh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to pick Louisville to win, but man, I could see Virginia winning if everything starts clicking. Cause it's starting to get there. So it was hard, hard to pick uh, one of the teams. It is. You know, and Louisville's such been a roller coaster over the last few years, looking good one week, looking bad the next, um, it's already has made them difficult to pick. Then when you throw in the X factors of what's Malik Cunningham's status, the other running backs, how, how are they going to play? What impact will Satterfield make on the defense? It even makes it a little bit more challenging. Um, and what we saw Boston College's offense do against Louisville's uh, defense when you expected Louisville just to come in there and really just crush them is alarming as well. Louisville comes into this one a favorite again. I don't know if I'm being suckered into thinking the roller coaster is going to be an enjoyable ride this corner. Uh, but I do have Louisville winning a close one. Um, how confident I am in that pick? Probably not too much. Yeah, I I, I, ha I was the same way for Virginia against Duke. I picked Virginia over Duke. And then today yeah. I, I was like, I need it. I, I think there's both teams are so many questions going into this game. And I think it's hard to say, but it could be where this, whoever wins this game, you hope kind of takes this and from momentum moving forward. So, yeah, it's kind of you know, and there's so many similarities, like you mentioned, between the two programs. One difference mm -hmm. is you have a new coach. We have a coach in year four. And so the hot seat's kind of warming up for him. And I think obviously that's part of why he decided to kind of shift some roles with the coaching staff. So another X factor to consider is this coaching staff probably sees this trip as we got to win this or it might be done. So, um, you know, a lot of, odd X factors playing into how this game will unfold. It definitely is. It's going to be interesting come around four o'clock on Saturday. So thanks, Michael, for yeah. joining us this week. Absolutely, Jackie. Thanks for having me on. And thanks again for Michael for joining us on the show. It's always nice to get the perspective from the opponents as well. And as you saw and as you heard from my conversation with Michael, I am choosing Louisville over Virginia this week. I tossed the two teams a lot this week i think virginia has all the tools and has the ability to beat louisville if they don't shoot themselves in the foot i have not seen that yet from the cavaliers i have yet to see uva play a consistent game and like i hinted to michael the big key to this game is going to be keeping Brennan Armstrong safe in that pocket, giving him time. Louisville's main weakness on the defensive front or on the, on the defense, and Michael, again, talked about the big plays with those long passes. 
unfortunately, that has not been clicking for Virginia yet. So that is why I pick Louisville in a tight one right now. But again, I it's one of those where I could see UVA winning. I just don't have the confidence in picking Virginia this week just because of what I saw against Duke. So unfortunately, I'm picking Louisville this week. But again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Again, sorry I had to combine two episodes in one. Um, just a couple of factors at home that uh, couldn't couldn't allow me to get a podcast recorded this morning as usual when I have one on Wednesdays. So again, we will be right back here on Monday for our game recap for another podcast. We'll also have plenty of game reacts like I've been doing. We'll have Tony Elliott and the coordinators videos, including some player interviews available on YouTube and also on Wahoo's 24-7. We'll have complete game coverage there. So if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, go ahead and subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. We're available on Apple, on Spotify. And if you can please rate and review us, that'll be great. It helps us with the algorithm. And why don't you go ahead and also like this video on YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Again, we're in the process of doing more videos and doing more specific analysis pieces that will be coming to this YouTube channel as well. So, again, thank you so much. And for Michael McCannman, I'm Jackie Franchuli, and I hope you guys have a great rest to your week. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, is a raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.